So happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was a good Thanksgiving for you. And in my family, we did something new this year. For the first time in my adult life, I spent Thanksgiving at home. We've been married 15 years, and it's the first time we actually hosted people. Usually we go to my mother-in-law's in St. Pete for one year, and then the next year we'll go to my family's in Richmond, Virginia. But this year, this year, we actually had my wife's family come to us. And it was really great. However, for the weeks leading up, when I realized we had a bunch of family coming over to our house, I started thinking of all the things that it meant that we were going to need to do so that it would be the single greatest Thanksgiving anyone had ever experienced. And if you had people over, you might have felt a little of that pressure too, right? And even if not, it's impossible to miss it. From magazine covers to if you make the mistake and you go online, social media, there's just this sort of fear of missing out that gets bred around Thanksgiving. I mean, the perfect turkey, the perfect dressing, the perfect sides, the perfect place settings, the perfect outfit, the perfect me. I didn't know I was supposed to be perfect for Thanksgiving, but apparently, according to the internet, I was. And I was just fixated on these things until cooler heads prevailed and my wife kind of reminded me that's not actually what Thanksgiving is about and we don't need to do any of that stuff. So we did not. And do you know what? Thanksgiving was still great. We opened the door, family came in, we ate the same food we eat every year. And we told some of the same stories and, and we laughed together and we walked around the neighborhood and we had such a great time together. And then the hours and, and the next day when I was thinking of Thanksgiving and all of that culture around all the stuff that we were supposed to do, it kind of struck me that it was all focused on the day of Thanksgiving. Because you know what? On Thanksgiving morning, if the food's not ready, you can go to Publix down the street and buy everything. They've got you covered. But all that work was just for the day of Thanksgiving. And none of it, none of it, none of the ads, none of the promotion, none of the things that we were supposed to do had to do with the practice of Thanksgiving, which was what the day was named for in the first place. And so today, that's actually what we're going to go through together. We're going to explore what it means to really be grateful and to really develop and cultivate a life of Thanksgiving. And we're going to do that by looking at the Thanksgiving story. Not the story with the funny hats and the Native Americans and the pilgrims. That's a fine story, but I've got a better story. You've got to go back a couple thousand years, and it's actually a story that you will find in Luke 17. And it's a story of ten lepers being healed by Jesus. And I know you're thinking, wait, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and leprosy at the same time. I'm not sure those fit. And it's a little strange, but I promise you, by the end of the morning, you'll see why I think that this is the greatest Thanksgiving story of all. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 17, 11 through 19. It's also in your worship guide, and it'll be on the screen right behind me. Let me read this for us. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, sidebar here, leprosy. If you don't know, leprosy is a terrible disease. It affects the way you feel. 
your skin feels. And so those little cuts, scrapes, burns, wounds that you or I might get and go, ah, what's that? And, and just attend to and be done with. If you've got leprosy, you don't even know it's there. And so you start to, to develop infections and sores and, and skin infections and problems and disfigurements. And you can even lose limbs because you just don't know the wounds were there. And even today, today, hundreds of thousands of people in the world are affected with leprosy, although there's a cure for it now. But go back to the 50s, there were still leper colonies in the U.S. because leprosy traditionally was not just incurable, but also contagious. So in Bible times, if you had leprosy, your family kicked you out. Your community ostracized you. You were no longer allowed to be with any of the people that you loved. Leprosy was a death sentence. It was an alone sentence. Leprosy was this terrible, isolating, disfiguring, awful, fatal disease. And so that's what these 10 lepers were going through. And Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. I mean, a terrible, incurable disease, and Jesus healed it. Not just once, ten times over. This is a miracle for the ages, the kind of thing that we talk about thousands of years into the future for a reason. It's remarkable what Jesus did in this story. What's also remarkable that stands out to me is that in this story, we can actually see four distinct practices of gratitude. In fact, the entire spectrum of gratitude is covered, which is what we're going to unpack today. And because I spent maybe a little bit too much time over the holidays playing video games, we're going to experience what it's like to level up in our Thanksgiving together. Stage by stage, we're going to move through this so that we can experience what it means to truly be people of Thanksgiving. Now, to start the story, we should know the context in which this passage is written. It's a time when Jesus was going around the countryside in his own backyard performing miracles, people being healed, lives being changed, and people heard, people knew what was happening. You couldn't miss it. And so into this, Jesus comes and performs these miracles to people who responded in faith, but not everybody, not everybody responded in faith when Jesus showed up. Some people responded in disbelief, and we can actually see that take place in the Bible as well. In Mark 6, you can see this. <clears throat> Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. It's a homecoming for Jesus. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform these miracles? Then, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph. Judas and Simon and his sisters, his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. You know, we've got six kids, and I experience something like this sometimes. 
at dinner. You know, my wife and I, I think we do a pretty great job when it comes to food, mostly my wife, but I will take credit for the work that both of us do here. And we bring out these meals that are pretty delicious and we'll put them out in front of the kids. And pretty regularly, one of the kids will make the face. You guys know the face I'm talking about, right? Food goes down and we'll see this. They kind of look at it, wrinkle their nose and wrinkle all their faces. They're not so excited about what we put in front of them. And we will tell them, but no, your favorite ingredients are in this dish. Or we'll say, no, this is just like that thing that you love so much. Or we might even say, but you loved this last week when we had it. <clears throat> and they will not believe and not take part in it. Every now and then they will. Every now and then one of the kids will go, okay, I'll try it. And they'll take a fork and they'll take one little bite. <gasps> and their eyes will light up. Oh, I do like this, depending on which of my kids it is. They may do that in secret and pretend not to like it, but still eat it all. Uh, or they may just go, oh, this is great, and they will. But most of the time, there, there will still be some resistance. It's not the worst thing, because it means I will eat all the plate of food from them. <clears throat> but their disbelief causes them to miss it. And you know, missing it is the form of ingratitude that we actually experience and practice most of all. Now, when we usually talk about ingratitude, I know what we think of is that other form of ingratitude, where someone gives you a gift and you're like, all right, cool, whatevs, and set it to the side and don't actually act appropriately grateful. And that is also ingratitude. But the most common practice of ingratitude that we all participate in is missing it. And that missing it, which you could even call entitlement, is actually just the practice of missing what is right in front of your face, of not seeing the blessings that are there for what they are, or the blessings that could be. And I know, I know we all do this, because I've been there before. You know, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the youth group, mission trips. I went to conferences with the church all the time. Every summer, from middle school all the way through high school, I went to the same conference. Same counselors were there every year, and there's this one counselor I remember, and there was nothing particularly special about her. She was just there. And then the last night of the last one of these conferences I went to, she got up to speak. And I was like, all right, I guess she'll be the last speaker. And she started talking, and it was nothing special until she started telling her story. And she told a story of her life that had been devastated by drugs. And her dad kicked her out. And as a teenager, she was now homeless. And she continued on this downward spiral, going through every sort of mistake and hurt and heartbreak that you could possibly go through. And there she was at rock bottom, maybe even lower than rock bottom, completely broken. And then suddenly, as she told us, she met Jesus. And Jesus helped her to forgive herself. He helped her to break and be freed from her addictions. And she found reconciliation with her dad, with her family. And she found a wholeness in life that she had not ex experienced for years. And there's a thousand teenagers in the room, and as she's telling the story, everyone is crying. And she does an altar call, and all of these people pour forward. And I see this happening, and I think, I want what she has. Now, I didn't want the redemption and reconciliation. I was a church kid. I had never sinned before. No, what I wanted, I wanted that sort of story, that sort of power, the ability to save people the way that she had. And with a story like mine, sinless, of course, growing up in the church, I didn't have that. 
So I actually walked away a little bummed. And so I put together a plan so that I could do for Jesus what she had done. I spent a lot of time in this plan. And I realized I was about to move out. My next stage of life was going to be going to college. And so this was my plan. I would go to college. Then I would sin big time. And then I would let Jesus save me so that then I could save other people. This is a great plan, right? And honestly, seriously, this was my actual plan. I was so proud of it. This is going to be great. Jesus is going to be so proud of me eventually. And my parents will be so proud of me eventually. And I didn't really figure out how I would sin big time. But I was going to go off to college and I knew there would be plenty of opportunities to figure that out when I got there. I had seen enough movies to know. It's a foolproof plan, right? No, honestly, by the way, if you're going to college anytime soon, this is an awful plan. Do not try this, okay? This is terrible. But sure enough, I pack up and I go off to college with my parents. They drop me off. And as we unload my stuff into my dorm room, this guy comes along. I'd never met him. Total stranger to help me. He gets all my stuff and he gives me his phone number. Tells me he, he leads a Bible study. Well, that's perfect because after I sin big time, I need to call somebody. So I save his card. I'm so excited. <clears throat> and then, and then I go through my dorm room to find the people who can help me mess up. And you know what? They're never hard to find, are they, right? I look around for a second. I'm like, aha, right there. All right. So now I've got my new friends. One of them had a friend who was an upperclassman who lived off campus. So we, that Friday night, headed off to our first college party. Now, it was like a mile away, mostly uphill. And you know, college starts in the middle of the summer, so it was so hot outside. And by the time we get there, we are all drenched in sweat, you know, just wiping it off our faces. But, but, it's part of my plan, so I'm sticking to it. And we throw up in the door, and I walk in, and I am immediately confronted by the smell of a house full of smelly teenagers. And I kind of go, wait, what? And I look around and I see people playing beer pong and I see awkward people awkwardly making out. And you could even smell the anxiety. And I realize in a moment, ah, there's actually nothing for me here. This house was empty. Oh. And I was empty. And I realized that I'd been missing it all along. There was not a thing that I actually wanted in that house. And it struck me so hard that I sat down on a couch. <clears throat> Nothing for me there. What I actually wanted in life was fullness. I would never find it from, from the world. But that's the gospel I'd been hearing all of those years and I'd missed it. And I stood up almost right away. Within a minute, I stood up and said, all right. I'm heading back, peace out, new friends. And they looked at me like I was crazy, but I wasn't. And I trudged all the way back to my apartment, to my dorm room, walked up six flights of stairs, grabbed that number that I'd been given from that guy and called him and said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I went over and hung out with him instead. Led to a relationship that changed my life. And you know, whether we call it entitlement or just plain missing it, the first stage of gratitude is actually ingratitude. It's not seeing what's right there in front of you. It's not seeing what you already have. It's not seeing 
what you've already been spared from. It's not seeing the opportunities before you. And for all of us, every single one of us, that is actually where we start on our journey of gratitude. But it's where we grow from, thankfully. And when we do grow, we move beyond ingratitude to the next level. We level up to being grateful for stuff. Now, I know you might be thinking, stuff? That's your big reveal stuff? But stick with me. Look at what Luke tells us. They were cleansed of their leprosy. And we don't know how all of them responded, but we do know how one of the guys responded. One of the lepers went shouting, praise God. I mean, think, what's the best thing that you have ever experienced in your life? If you're just thinking of Christmas morning or something, you need to go bigger than that. Falling in love, birth of a child, discovering what you were put on this earth to do. What's the best thing you've ever encountered? Because for those 10 lepers, being freed from a walking death sentence and being restored was the best thing that had ever happened to them, to them and to their families. Now, gratitude isn't just something that happens in those mountaintop experiences, is it? I sat down on Friday and thought back to a 15-minute window of my day of all the things that I was grateful for, and I made a list. Avocado mash. Really amazing. Spreadable butter. You will never go back to just the sticks. Eggs. I mean, eggs. They're so great, right? And there's this little pan that we have in my house that is just perfect for frying eggs, which now, of course, you know what I had for breakfast. Uh, and there's this chair in my dining room that is just my favorite for the sort of slouchy breakfast relaxed mornings that I got to use. And when I was sitting there eating that breakfast, some of the Thanksgiving place settings were still on the table from the day before, and I looked through those. They were wonderful. And then with six kids in my family, it's uncommon, but there was a moment of quiet and peace. I was thankful for that. And then I heard laughter in the other room, laughter that came into my room as well, but it was wonderful. You know, there was a lot that I was thankful for, and then my, my throat started getting a little scratchy, so I went into my kitchen, got one of those squeezable yogurts, gogurts. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, get one, put it in the freezer. It's amazing. And that's just in 15 minutes. And those aren't big things or even new things. They're pretty obvious things. But you know, where ingratitude is a sense of entitlement that we have for the things in our life, basic gratitude is a realization and an appreciation and recognition of the things in our life that we are lucky to have. And you know, it is hard not to take those things for granted sometimes, right? I mean, so many of them are in our life day in and day out. I get that. I get that. But that doesn't make them any less remarkable or any less worthy of gratitude. That's why, by the way, gratitude is a spiritual discipline, because it takes discipline to keep your eyes open so that you can see what's right there in front of you. It takes work to do that. It takes work to do that. But we need to because that's what helps us realize that the things in our lives, they're not given. They're not automatic. We don't deserve the stuff in our lives like we do think that we do sometimes, right? So we're actually all going to practice this level of gratitude in just a second. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three, and then I want every single one of us, everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone in the jails and the prisons and in our worshiping communities, to think of one thing that you're grateful for. Could be big, it could be small, could be breakfast. But I want us all to think of one thing that you are glad and thankful for about your health or your life circumstances or anything at all. And we're going to say it out loud. Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three. Yeah. Those are great. I'm, I'm thankful for a book a friend gave me this morning. Wasn't that a good thing to do, right? So we're actually just going to do that for the next 30 minutes out loud. No, we're not really. <laughs> but, but this is a great practice, and I would encourage you when you get home today, sharpen your pencil, charge your device, make a habit of doing this. Write down the things that you're grateful for so that you can pay attention and see those things in your life at work. Now, I know many of you are wondering if, if maybe we're being a little bit materialistic. And, and yeah, maybe a little bit, but we're moving through the levels of gratitude. And to be clear, there's actually not a thing in the world wrong with being grateful for your stuff. There's really not. I mean, Jesus said, he told us, don't store up your treasures in, uh, on the earth where moths and rust will destroy. And he's right. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't appreciate the blessings that we have, the blessings that God has provided for us, the gifts that people have given us. We just don't want to be ruled by our stuff, right? Right? So Jesus went on to say that we should store up our treasures in heaven. So what are the things that are eternal in our lives? It's not our cars. It's not our houses. It's not our breakfast, no matter how great yours or mine might have been. What are the things that are eternal? Well, I mean, God is eternal, right? He's a great I am. He has no beginning and no ending. God is eternal. But it's not God alone who's eternal. Because who is made in God's image? We are. People are eternal. God has made us in his image to be with him forever. And so as we move from being grateful for things, we get to move to the next level of gratitude, which is being grateful for people. So let's come back to that line, uh, one of the lines in our text. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus. Came back to Jesus. I love the way this is worded. Because when it comes to gratitude, this is exactly how things work for me. I mean, the Samaritan saw what was going on, and he was healed. And he came back to Jesus. And he did it on a literal basis. Why? Because after he was healed, he started thinking. How did this happen? How did this amazing, wonderful, good thing happen? Because of Jesus. And he realized that there was a person behind the thing. You know, I would promise you that there is not a thing in your life that you are thankful for that isn't because of some person. There is someone behind everything you can be grateful for in your life. And of course, this is true on an abstract level. I mean, you could be grateful for the farmers and the bakers and the distribution company workers who put together the supply chain logistics that get all of the things that you want to eat from wherever it is into your grocery store that you, so that you can go and buy it. But this sort of gratitude can be incredibly personal as well. You know, that list I made from Friday morning, the avocado mash, my wife made that for me. 
And those Thanksgiving place settings that I love to look at, my daughter did those. She went through all of the people who joined us for Thanksgiving and wrote what she was thankful about because of them. And that joyful noise, the laughter, that was my sons running around playing tag in circles over and over and over again and again. There were people behind each one of those things that I was thankful for. And so if I'm going to be grateful for things, I must, must be grateful for the people behind them as well. This happens in the Bible a lot too. The letter to the Colossians starts with the Apostle Paul writing, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And why was Paul thankful for these people? Well, he tells us, because he's heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and of the love they had for all of God's people. And you know, Paul doesn't just start this letter this way. He starts Ephesians, he starts Philippians, Romans, 1 Corinthians, his letter to the Thessalonians. All of those letters start with his expression of gratitude for people. And why? Because of their love and their faith. Now, if you've read the Bible at all, you know that love and faith aren't just things that you feel, right? Love and faith are things that you do, which tells us that Paul had heard some stories. Paul had heard about some amazing things that were happening in their communities. And when he paid attention to those stories, he realized it wasn't just great stories of actions, but it was actually great stories of people expressing love and people expressing faith through profound acts of service and care in their community. And Paul was surely thankful for the things that were happening. But even more, he was thankful for the people who were living out their love and faith in Jesus. So much so that it made it into the Bible all of those times. And that's our call too, that we shouldn't take things for granted but that we shouldn't take the people behind those things for granted either. That we need to be paying attention so that we can be thankful on both counts. So, so my question is, who are you thankful for? If you're having a hard time thinking, if I asked that question and you kind of drew a blank, think back to your answer to the first question. What are you thankful for? Was there a person behind that? And in general, who is someone that you are thankful for? Because you know what we're gonna do now, I'm going to count to three, and you're going to say their name out loud. And I know that might be a little awkward, and if it is, deal with it. <clears throat> You'll be okay, I promise. If it's really terrible, you can just whisper it. But I want all of us, no matter where we are, in this room or online, on the count of three, three to say the name of someone you are thankful for. You guys ready? Okay, I've given you some time here. Ready? One, two, three. Good. My wife, Jen. That's my answer. <clears throat> and so now, for a moment, we have all just experienced what it's like to be thankful for stuff and to be thankful for people. And we've all practiced gratitude for someone. And you know what? That means that we have moved, at least in this moment, from being entitled and ungrateful to being grateful and thankful for the things and people in our lives. And that is not a bad progression. If we called it a day now, not half bad, right? But the deal is, that's sometimes where we stop. And there's further for us to go on this journey. In fact, it's where we saw nine of the ten lepers stop, right? They didn't return to give thanks. But we know there's more to do. We know because the word thanksgiving actually is a compound word, right? There's two parts to it. There's the thanks, which we talked about. But there's also the giving, 
It's about giving thanks, not just feeling thanks. And so that's our final stage that we're going to move into. It's also the lesson of this story, I think. <clears throat> we're going to look at how this story ends in just a second. But before we do, Thanksgiving was this week. And I know it wasn't a great time for everybody. Thanksgiving can be a really rough season, right? I mean, maybe you're in a rough patch in your life. Maybe you just lost a job. Maybe you got uninvited from your family's Thanksgiving gathering. Maybe you lost somebody in your family, your mom, your dad. So it was a rough Thanksgiving for me. My grandma died two weeks ago. And it's been hard, you know. She and my granddad just celebrated 70 years. And she would never have cried because she was a no-nonsense farm wife. And uh, they retired from farming. Who does that in their 50s? They moved down to Florida from Virginia. They moved into the villages where she became a no-nonsense retiree. I didn't even know that was a thing until she did it. And I would go visit her and... uh, play golf with her, she would beat me. I'd play pickleball with her, she would beat me. We'd bowl together, she would beat me. Because she wanted to toughen me up. That's what you did if you were a farm wife. And she was remarkable. And I loved her. And so, if Thanksgiving was hard for you, I'm with you. I mean, life can be so hard, right? Sometimes, especially on days like Thanksgiving, where we're supposed to celebrate (coughs) and give thanks. But you know, the practice of Thanksgiving isn't just about celebrating when everything is awesome. It can't be, because things aren't always awesome. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All circumstances. I mean, how how are we supposed to do that? To be thankful in hard times? I don't know sometimes. I don't want to pretend to tell you that I have all the answers on how to make it happen. But here's what I know. If you belong to Jesus, if you believe and the death and resurrection and and the gospel, then you know that death isn't the end. And you also know that all the hurt and the pain, all of the hard things in your life, any of the mistakes you have made, any of the failures that you might have accumulated aren't what define you anymore. There's something more. There's a bigger story that you have been invited to. And even in the midst of all the bad things and all the hard things, there can still be hope. There can still be thanksgiving. We can still practice that, even if it's difficult. It's the gospel of Jesus, and it's so incredibly different than the gospel of the world. And I sat there on the phone with my uncle, planning out my grandma's funeral, which I'm officiating with my brother next Saturday. And in the midst of our grief and our hurt, we still found hope and thanksgiving. Despite all the pain. And it's a gift of God. I don't know how it worked, but it did. 
And if you're there, that's okay. All of us are there sometimes. <clears throat> and we need to acknowledge the truth of that because if we want to level up to this final stage, which we should, we need to recognize that gratitude is something that we can all do. Thanksgiving is something we can all experience no matter our circumstances, not just when things are good or easy. So level four, it's where we're at now. And it's being grateful to people. It's what happens when our gratitude becomes thanksgiving. So what the text says, <clears throat> he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? So the Samaritan believes, he appreciates what's happened, and he's thought about it and realized, recognized that Jesus was behind this. And he returns to Jesus giving thanks for what has happened. He returns to give glory to God and, and to give thanksgiving to God. See, the other nine lepers were surely thankful. How could they not have been? But, but they failed to reach this level and to return and give thanks. And don't we all do that sometimes? Feel thankful? but stop there. We just go on our merry way. We don't give thanks. And you know, I got to tell you, there's a huge difference between a world in which people feel thankful and a world in which people give thanks. You know, giving thanks, like all forms of giving, adds value to the people around us. Have you been thanked before? You stand a little taller, right? Makes you feel special. It changes you. And the act of thanksgiving compels us, forces us to pay attention to what's going on in our life so that we can see the things that God is doing for us, even when things are hard. Giving thanks helps us see what we can be thankful for. But if all we try to do is be thankful, it's easy to just wait for good circumstances to come along. Right? You know, I'm guilty of missing this sometimes and being like the nine. I mean, I'm thankful for God every day. I mean, I'm thankful for so many of you. I look around this room and I see people who have loved me so incredibly well. And I also see people who have loved others. I mean, the stories that I hear of the work that so many of you do in this community, the way that you love people in times of crisis and times of need, and even in just along the way moments, is awe-inspiring. You have no idea the reputation that you have in this community. I'm thankful for you every day. But I don't always take that thankful feeling and translate it into thanksgiving. I wish that I did. But let's look again at this 1 Thessalonians 5 passage. You know, some of the other translations stood out to me. <clears throat> Thank God no matter what happens. And everything, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Think about the impact of real thanksgiving on a community. I mean, Thanksgiving for the meal in our house, our table was so filled with food, I could not figure out where to put my glass, right? Some of you I know had an experience like that. But what would have happened if people didn't bring along food to share? In my house, we wouldn't have had the broccoli casserole. We wouldn't have had the stuffing. We wouldn't have had the sweet potatoes. We wouldn't have had the bread. We wouldn't have had that cranberry dish. I don't even know what it's called, but it's great and it's got weird things in it, but it's still delicious even though it looks funny. None of those things would have been there. <clears throat> and if we didn't give something, then the whole table would have been what? 
would have been empty, right? We would have been right there at the beginning, empty, staring at more emptiness because no one was giving anything. But there's more. There's more. And another way that we can experience life. And it's what happens when we level up our thanksgiving. When we are the one, like the one leper who returned and gave thanks and glory to God, we start to see a life of fullness instead. And, you know, we've been on this journey from what to who, and now from who to how. And so I want to give you four practical ways, things that we've already talked about, that you can actually put thanksgiving into practice. They're real easy. First, if you want to be the one to be like that leper who came back, pay attention and be grateful for the things and blessings that are in your life. Second, rightly attribute those blessings to the people that are behind them. Pay attention and see who's behind those blessings. Third, say thank you. Let the words escape your lips and express your gratitude to people. And lastly, when you do this, live like you've got something to be grateful for. When you express thanksgiving, it's going to change the way you live and the way you see everything in your everyday life. And you know what? We're actually going to practice this too, especially that number three. We're going to practice saying thank you. Think back 15 minutes ago to what you said you were thankful for or to who you said you were thankful for. Some of you are already there. You know where I'm going with this. And we're going to actually do a test drive right now. In just a minute, I'm going to count to three, and I want all of us to say thank you. But I want you to have in mind the person who you will say this to later on. Okay? So you've got to fix that person in your mind. You guys with me? You ready for this? Okay, with that person in mind, on the count of three, let us all everywhere say thank you. One, two, three. Thank you. Okay, so... What you're going to go and do today now with this test drive under your belt is you're going to find that person. Maybe you need to call them. That's okay. And some of you might have lucked out, and maybe you're sitting with them right now. Overachievers, well done. But let those words pass your lips. And it's so important because, you know, there are all these discussions about what are the hardest phrases to say. Sometimes people say it's I'm sorry. Sometimes people say it's I love you. But sometimes... Saying thank you can be surprisingly difficult, right? Especially to somebody you love. Especially if it's somebody that you've been in a rough patch with. But let us all commit today to telling at least one person thank you. And all this thanksgiving, at the root of it, of course, of course, is God. It is God from whom all of these, all of our blessings flow. It is God who has put these people for whom we are grateful to in our live, lives. And it is God who fills us up with all things so that we can give thanks in the first place. Ephesians 3.19 tells us, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. See, when we follow Jesus, God fills us up. He makes us fully alive, and we find ourselves filled and able then, in turn, to give. We become filled with love, filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with faith, filled with thanks. And it empowers us and releases us to go and give 
and be agents of thanksgiving. So it's that experience of being fully alive that does enable us to truly live life of thanksgiving. And it's a good thing because we need to give thanks to God. We can see that call throughout the Bible. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. It's First Chronicles 16. And that call is repeated dozens and dozens of times throughout the Bible because God is good. And when it comes to attribution, whatever thanks that you may have for things or for people need to be thanks to God as well. And you know what? When we do practice this thanksgiving and when we see God in our midst, it will change not just the way we feel but the way we see and live every day. So keep your eyes open See the good things that are in your life. Look for the people behind them and find ways to say thank you, both to those people and to God.